sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. So my guest on the Tales of Tennessee podcast today joins me from Nashville. He wears plenty of different hats in the course of his work in the music industry, including songwriter, consultant, manager and record label head. Welcome to the podcast, John Griffin. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. So normally I know a little bit more background about the interviewees, but as I don't, I'm really looking forward to this um, okay. to this podcast. So can you just talk us, give us a little bit of a chat about the making of John Griffin, you know, what happened in your younger years? How old were you when you got interested in music? Just a little bit of the background. I've always been interested in music and um, just from an early age, like um, you probably hear this a lot singing in church, you know, uh, my mom played piano. She uh, sang alto in the choir. So I have a really good ear for harmony. Um, I, my dad listened to traditional country music growing up. And my mom listened to uh, top 40 pop music. So I think I have like a nice uh, blend of mm-hmm. both. So in the mornings, my dad's alarm clock radio would go off and it would be, you know, Dolly Parton, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings. So I'd hear that from my room coming from their room. And then on the ride to school, mom would be listening to, you know, the top 40 music. So at the time, you know, anywhere from like the BGs or into the eighties, you know, Prince and, uh, you know, everything that was popular on top 40 music. So, and then when I would go to, to baseball practice with my dad, it would be George Strait. So I have a very wide range of musical taste and loves. So, yeah. yeah. And when did you start playing, you know, you're sitting there with a guitar. When did you start playing the guitar? Was that something that happened at school or when, when did you get your interest in actually being a, being a player in the music industry? So actually my sister took guitar for five years, like growing up. Uh, and then I kind of like picked up her guitar and kind of self-taught myself from a John Denver music book that had the chords at the top of it. So um, like Annie song and, you know, country oh road. Annie song, <laughs> one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. So that's how I kind of taught myself. And then in high school uh, started a band my senior year, there was like a, uh, a variety show uh, competition. And, and for some reason I was like, I, I think I want to start a band and compete in this competition. So uh, at the time we were play, we like played uh, poisons. Uh, um, Every rose has its thorns, and then twist and shout the Beatles. So that was our that was our, and it went over really well. So uh, it was my senior year, and so all the senior the senior girls and guys were too cool to go to the variety show. But the next the next Monday when I came in, my classmates were like what did you do Friday night or Saturday night or whatever, whenever it was? Cause my, my little sister has a crush on you now. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You should have been there, <laughs> but yeah, that's, it kind of got into it there. I mean, it, it was a short lived band, but that's where I kind of started picking up the guitar more like in high school. And then in college started playing more, really got into country music um, in college um, I think a turning point for me was uh, was Patty Loveless. I really loved her music. Blame it on your line cheating, cold dead beating, two time and double dealing, me mistreating, loving heart. Like for some reason, that song was like a big jump back into country music for me in college. And then I started singing karaoke uh, during college, going to country places, and then got a few gigs just actually just singing to tracks mm. uh, at local restaurants and some like friends would come out and see me play and started picking up the guitar more, learning how to play live. And so that that's, and then halfway through college, for some reason, I, I, I was like, I think I want to do music, but I went ahead and finished college and I have a degree in social work that I've never really used. So there you go. 
<laughs> so was that ever going to be an option? So going into work in social social care or was it? it really, it, I really made up my mind and, and I, I, I got into songwriting in college as well. I had, I can tell you the exact moment that I thought that I could become a songwriter. Um, I was taking a, an English class and I had always been kind of interested in creative writing and stuff like that. And uh, my professor, her name was Cameron Sperry, and we were reading this short story in our assignment. She said, rewrite the, re- the, the short story from the perspective of another character. You can write a poem about it. I don't care. You can even write a song about it. And when she said that, it just clicked. I was like, well, I play the guitar. I think I could write a song about it. So I went home, wrote a song about this, this uh, short story. Uh, the, the short story was called Cathedral. I can't remember who it's by. But when it was my time to present it to the class, got up with my guitar, played it for the class. Everybody really liked it. I got an A plus on the assignment. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm a songwriter. One, one song I'm a songwriter now. <laughs> and, and do you still remember the song now? I can tell you uh, the first line. Uh, Close your eyes and try to see this ever-changing world inside of me where everything is faith, but still I believe. The, the short story was about a blind man being described what a cathedral looks like. So uh, I, I couldn't play it, but I, I mean, I remember that line from, it was like the first line of it. And, uh, but yeah, that's, and then I just started writing and because I was into country music, I started writing kind of like country songs really sappy songs and the the joke with my friends was was that I wrote the longest songs ever like my songs were like five minutes long uh, that's <laughs> not good very- songs you can tell a good story in five minutes <laughs> you can tell a lot in five minutes <laughs> you could have got two songs out of that exactly so when you are and I'm I'm slightly jumping ahead of myself here but when you are songwriting and when you're in your creative mindset does it tend to be how does it tend to come to you? Does Is it uh, a melody that sticks in your head and you don't know where it's come from? Or do you stick on a lyric and just think, oh, you know, where, where's that going to lead to? For me, I mean, it's, it's different, different times. Yeah. But like if I'm just writing for myself, uh, it'll be a lyrical phrase and a mel- like some, something about a way a lyric sounds or a line that comes to me. Uh, has a cadence that has like a melody attached to it. And I tell people this all the time. I don't know if they think I'm crazy. I think the songs are already out there mm. and that we're receptors and that you kind of pick up on something. And then you're trying to, as a creative person, you're trying to like receive it from wherever it is out there, hanging out there. And the, the quality of the song is really kind of, uh, goes along with how well you are receiving the the uh the melody and the lyrics yeah sounds crazy but yeah like the the lyric and the melody usually sounds comes together for me Mm. almost a bit like an earworm you know when you wake up in the morning and you just got it in your head yeah and some I mean there are some songs that uh that I've written that have come that are just so quick that you can't just stop writing it like I've woken up in the in the middle of the night and gone downstairs and grabbed my guitar just like this and just start messing around with something until it just is is finished like it, it just will not let you know let me go and what's Which the is, favorite what's your favorite song you've ever written uh well there's a song that i wrote called the key that i really feel like is a turning point of where I thought, hey, I think I'm a pretty good songwriter. And this was like more than 20 years ago. It's still one of one of my friend's favorite ones to request for me to play. But there was a line. I was writing it with a, a friend of mine, Derek Lake, at the time. And uh, so there's a point in the song. The song is about the guy holding on to a key for my ex. And, and he, he keeps it on his key ring. And he's like, you know, I should throw this away. You know, she doesn't even live there anymore or whatever. Like, like, why am I holding on to this key? And he's remembering when she gave him the key and and, the, and stuff like that. And, and in the song, there's a part about where 
she gets locked out and he has to come and, and let her into her, her place. And, uh, and I was like, I want to, I want to say that, that she rewarded him by they made love. You know, that was his reward for, for coming and unlocking the door. And I was like, but I want to say that. And, uh, so I, I said, the image of you at the bedroom door, like I still remember my reward, the image of you at the bedroom door. And then after that, I was like, how can this, how can I make this better? And, and say, you would die if you still knew I thought about you that way. Mm. And like, I didn't get t- tingles even thinking of it now. Cause when that came out, I was like, Oh, that's a really good whole line that kind of sets up this scene of like, you know, my reward for letting you in was that we made love. And if you thought that I still thought about you, you, you would not like that. That I still think about making love to you. And so that was the point where I was like, yeah, I think, I think I might have something here. I think I'm like, write songs. And your rest of the rest of your work in the music industry is, seems to be quite varied. So you've got a record label, you do some consulting with radio promotion. Is, is that right? Mm-hmm. Or streaming consulting. Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about each of those. Like what, yeah, how do you structure your day? What different things do you do in each, in each part that kind of fit together so well? So honestly, everything that that I do now is a result of rejection along the way. Like, for example, with songwriting, you know, Nashville is, is very, you know, it's like you get a lot of no's. And I played for publishers years ago and they were like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds, yeah, it's okay. And you just kind of like learn to do things yourself, dust yourself off. And so basically the, you know, the part about working with independent artists that led to the independent label was basically me reaching out to artists outside of Nashville and asking them if they wanted to write songs. And, and then luckily I have a production partner who I've known for over 20 years, who David Flint, who, who plays about everything is a great, uh, great musician, great producer. Um, so the record label came from that, like reaching out to artists and, and writing with them and then offering them the chance, like, Hey, we'll produce your project and we'll help you release it. So a lot of just kind of learning as you go and having success in that area led to the consulting with grassroots promotion. Um, So basically I just kind of share what I've learned about the music industry and about how to release music. Uh, And like all the artists that we work with, you know, have very decent streaming numbers and, you know, have charted on the iTunes charts and, and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share, like, t- to me, like, I, I have on my Instagram page, uh, trying to be the person I needed when I first ne- moved to Nashville. And that's exactly what I want to do, because I-, I didn't have anyone like me. It was just like, it was a lot of no's and a lot. I mean, there were, I mean, there were people along the way that were helpful and encouraging and stuff like that. But nobody really just kind of like took a hold of me and said, I see your potential. And, and that's what I want to do you know, to some extent with like with Clayton Smalley and, you know, the first artist that we worked with, Tyler Barham, he had like a huge YouTube following just doing covers and reached out to him and started writing with him. And like, he's had, you know, a lot of success as an independent artist um, releasing music. I feel, I mean, I don't, I don't know the ins and outs, the technicalities or anything like that, but I feel actually for an artist who maybe is struggling to get a bit of a bit of a break doing covers and things is a brilliant way to get in it because people will listen because they like the song that you're singing and then when they realize that you're actually really talented they're more receptive and open-minded to then listening to original music um and I think it seems to be slightly dismissed and again this is just my personal opinion I have no idea if that's actually the case exactly right because you can see how many people are doing covers of of popular songs my new thing that i try to get the artists that i work with that they not not always do they listen to my advice but they need to do covers of similar artists that are at the same level like if you if you if you know an artist that 
that you like their song, it doesn't matter if they have tons of followers or if they're a big artist, cover the song if you like it, because they're more likely to share it with their fans. And at at the level that of the artists that I work with, it's, you know, it really helps out to join together, bring your fan bases together because you're, you're not going to lose a fan. You're going to gain, gain a fan and then also become a, almost like a tastemaker, like, oh, you guys should check out this guy. He's really good. So we over here, I don't know how much about UK country music you know. Um, There's a few artists up in the north, uh, Jay Taylorwell, Kezia Gill and Gary Quinn, who are all really good friends, have known each other for a while, and they do a song swap. and and that's gone down really well and they really enjoy doing it as well because they're all friends they all respect and admire yeah. each other's work um so actually it's a great way like you say to showcase to showcase what what the others are doing and and have have fun while you're at it and it's a little bit of a twist on a normal writer's round or or what have you so that's great um, and we, uh, we, uh, to Gary and, and kind of like we have like a streaming service that's just the U.S. over here called Pandora. Yeah. So I reached out to him. I was making sure I was like, is your music up on Pandora? Um, just because you're in the U.K., you can still develop fans here in the U.S. through that platform. So I've, I've helped a, a few people in the U.K. artists kind of navigate Pandora a little bit. It's um, I think it must feel quite daunting for U.K. artists, especially because there does seem to be a bit of a bias against UK artists by UK country fans because they just want to hear the Americans, which, and I absolutely hands up, it's American artists who got me into country music in the first place. Um, and it's, you know, envisaging being sitting on the back of a truck, drinking a beer or around a campfire <laughs> or whatever it is. It's those um those images that really sort of grab you in the, in the storytelling, but actually now I've got more involved. We've got some absolutely fantastic artists over here in the UK. And, um, but I think it must be quite daunting as a UK artist to look at the U S and go, Oh my God, you know, am I going to try and tackle them or, you know, get a little in over there? It's, it seems like it's easier for Canadian artists to break into the U S market. I mean, I, I mean, I can't remember, any UK artist kind of breaking in to the US, which, which is, um, we're working on it. I think creating your own thing. I mean, that that's, yeah, that's amazing. I think it's, um, it is, it's, it's hard for them. It's really hard for them. And it's a lot easier for them to come over from the States over here than it is for a UK artist to go over there. And we've got a couple of big, um, or sort of our biggest, country artists over here would be the Shires and Ward Thomas. Um, and I think, you know, they've both been over to Nashville and and done collaboration. So the Shires have just released a collaboration with Jimmy Allen and Ward Thomas have just done with one with Cam. And I think that's probably how they're going to break into yeah. the US is by, you know, teaming up with, with US artists for a bit until people see what they can, they can do themselves. Um, so which which bit of your job makes you happiest? Is it the songwriting? Is it the helping the the, the smaller, the younger artists? Well, I really enjoy this writing with artists and then, you know, in the production part. I love to see that come together. I wish that was my everyday thing. Like, um, I, I probably spend maybe 20% on creative and then the rest is probably like business and consulting. But the, but again, that 80% that I do with, you know, consulting and and stuff like that, you know, that pays the bills. Like, yeah. you know, it, it lets me do the, the, the creative spot. Yeah. Constantly working on making the creative part, the bigger part. And we, as a label, our label is YN Records. And luckily, we're, like, expanding, working with more artists. We're starting to work with some hit songwriters. We're working with uh, Billy Montana, who's had four number ones. He might have five now because he has a duet that with uh, that's out with uh, Lee Bryce. What is it? Memory I Don't Mess With. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, not sure where, I'm not sure where it is on the charts. 
but he's been a longtime friend uh, and a longtime friend of my production partner as well. So we're working with him, releasing songwriter versions of his hit songs. And then we're also working with Steve Dean, um, who's also been a longtime friend. He's had six number ones. We're helping him release singer songwriter versions of, of, of his songs too. So I feel like we're expanding in, in good ways. And I love the fact that you guys have a songwriter portion to the festival. Yeah. I'm actually going to try and sweet talk you to uh, being one of our panel members actually on that. So it's a, it's a workshop. So <laughs> it's um, I think we'll have probably five or six artists and, they will play a song each and then the members of the panel will just give them nice, friendly, you know, encouraging advice. That's- <laughs> Love I'm not, not a Simon Cowell. I am definitely a girl. <laughs> Good. So the music industry as a whole, and we touched on this briefly before we started the, the interview proper, is, is undergoing huge changes. And especially it seems in the US in terms of equality for female artists sexuality, racial issues. What are your thoughts on kind of where we are with all of that and where you think it's going to go? Because it feels like, um, and again, this this is my opinion, but it feels like over here in the UK, we are a lot more liberal and open-minded. And, you know, frankly, we don't care if a good song's a good song, whoever sings it, basically. That is a tough one. Like, I feel like country music kind of lags behind in, in some, some areas like that. Um, the fact that the uh, guy from Brothers Osborne came out was amazing. It got amazing support from everybody in the industry. Um, the, the, the equality for women in music, uh, I mean, I think they're really handling that. Like like CMT mm. has gone playing 50-50, like 50% women and 50% men. Um, and there was this big, really big stink in radio several years back when a, I can't remember what his name, a very prominent radio programmer at a big station just said, you know, our listeners are not listening to female country music. Like that, like, like the fans are here for the male sex symbol, you know, artists and stuff like that. And he got a lot of pushback and and, and backlash. Um, I don't know, like for me, like in the '90s, I look back, women dominated country music in the '90s. Trish Yearwood, Faith Hill, um, Shania Twain, Patti Loveless. Like uh, I, I've had the fortune of working with Pam Tillis. Like you know, back in the '90s, it was it was almost like the reverse, like men were not getting played. I don't, I don't know. It's like, um, first of all, I think the, uh, the music has to stand up. Like, like, um, I think the music has to be there. I don't think you have to play a song just because it's by a woman. If it's not a, a great song, but they're playing guys stuff. That's not good. I don't know. It's, it's, it's like a toss up. Mm. And I look, look at our label like we have mostly male artists like we work we've done some work with uh the swedish country artist belinda charlene she did a duet with with clayton we we're trying to work with her but with covid she didn't get to come over this year we've done stuff with Katie baston who was on the voice but i look at that i'm like like we need to, to work with more female artists and, uh, so it's difficult isn't it because like you say it's it's whether it's it's good or not and and as a as a programmer for the festival um we actually so we over here would have a whole lot more female artists than we do male artists and so I find the opposite it's actually quite difficult to to balance with the the male artists and and the female just purely because of numbers really um and so many of them are putting out really fantastic music now yeah. um and for example touching on the on the racial issues yeah we don't we I'd love to have more diverse racial lineup however as far as I'm aware there are no black country singers in the UK and I would love to hear from them if if <laughs> there are but 
so it's not it's not for want of trying it just there aren't any so it's it's very difficult um and with the and again this is much more prevalent in the states I think with all the terminology and and bits and bobs and I feel like it's not it's not quite so um raw over here because we don't necessarily have the, the history that you've got but for example with the with the festival we used to be called Dixie Fields um then the Dixie Chicks changed their name to the Chicks and we were like oh okay writing's on the wall for us because it just doesn't have the same connotations in the UK as it does for some people in the US um so anyway we changed it at the end of the day for us it's just a name it doesn't change anything about what we do who we are as a festival but if we can do something proactively to minimize hurt for other people well why wouldn't we do it I mean that's just it is what it is um but actually so we had overwhelmingly good support however we did have a bit of abuse and kickback for that and and you think that's just the tiniest, tiniest little drop in the ocean. Yeah. What some people have been experiencing for years and years and years. And I mean, you just can't understand how they can, how they can put up with it. So anything we can do as a label, as a festival or anything, why, yeah. why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you exactly. do it? Um, yeah, I, I, it's, and then you, you had uh, just, I guess like a few months ago, um, well, I'm gonna draw a blank on his name. He kind of apologized for uh, Morgan Wallen. Not Morgan Wallen. Um, that's a different. That's a different <laughs> issue. Yeah. Um, Luke Combs. He like made a public announcement because I think some of his past videos, yes. had you know Confederate flags in there, and, and he got backlash for that too. And it, I don't know. It's like. People are so on edge uh, about feeling like they have to be politically correct. And then, so it's, it's, where's the line of like, I feel like he probably really did that as like, Hey, I've grown as an artist. And I'm looking back and maybe that wasn't the stuff to you. But instead of accepting that at face value of him saying that some people want to criticize. Yeah. Yeah. But, for me, I'm like, I think you should take somebody at their word if, the, if that's what they're feeling. And and, and uh, God, we've all, we've all made like, huge mistakes when we're young, haven't we? You know, like, that's part of growing up, getting old. So, um, so you aren't a Nashville native, are you? I'm originally from North Carolina, which is just okay. the next or so. I'm about 450 miles from my hometown. Okay. So, about uh, seven hours. And when did you move move over to Nashville? In nineteen ninety five. So I have been here a long time. Yeah. And what were your what like what were your first impressions back then? Has it lived up to your expectations? Good question. Uh, it was not what I expected, and so I moved. I went straight from uh, college, where. You could go and do like you had a big campus. You could go and do anything. You could meet up with your other friends. Moving to Nashville, I didn't know anybody here. I moved into an apartment. I, I really and basically went from, you know, pretty much having like a really active social life to just like living in my apartment and just exploring exploring the city by myself. Uh, luckily, I tapped into a, a church. Uh, that where I met Billy Montana, where I met my production partner. So became friends kind of, you know, just kind of like branched out from there. And uh, lucky to, luckily to say, like, I mean, I, I have, ha I've had friends that I've had for as long as I've lived in Nashville, which, which is pretty amazing. And so, yeah, what I thought Nashville was like, was like everybody be sitting around playing music and stuff like that. It wasn't like that for me. It uh, it could be like that for some people, but for me, it was very isolating. And I would go out to to writers' night in Nashville. There's singer songwriter writers' nights going on everywhere around town, everywhere you can think of, especially in the mid '90s. And I remember going to these places and 
And uh, the one thing I'll say for songwriters wanting to move to Nashville, it will make you a better songwriter because you're listening to songs and you're comparing what you're doing to other people. And, you know, if you're objective, you're like, okay, that person's on a way higher level of musicianship than I am or songwriting than I am. And it just makes you get better. Mm. It just, it just does. And how do you, how do you deal with that? Because you're not the only person, you know, who talks about the, the rejection that you get when you, Mm -hmm. when you first get there, how, how does somebody deal with that? Is the, is the support over there for songwriters, you know, with mental health issues and things like that, because that must be really tough. I mean, I know from personal experience in the past when I've been applying for jobs and stuff and it's rejection after rejection after rejection and you know that you're qualified and and it's tough and and it gets you down yeah. and yes I'm sure we'll get through it in the end but at that well, at that time how do you deal with that I I so I was lucky to do some internships when I fir- when I when I first moved here thanks to thanks to Billy um so I I got to see some of the inner workings of the music industry early on as far you know either have the desire to do it just for the pure love of it. Like I think if you're a true songwriter, you're going to write songs, whether anybody's, you know, signing you to a publishing deal or, or if somebody's recording your music, I think you just do it. Um, I think a lot of people that, that move to Nashville that, that are good singers that, you know, they kind of figure out, okay, well, there's, you know, there's a lot more going on and they kind of give up and then they kind of, they kind of like, blend, like they find other professions in Nashville. Like I know a lot of people that moved here for music, they're now realtors or they've just, they just kind of have blended into Nashville, which is perfectly fine. They find other passions to work with, but I think like true songwriters or true artists, they'll just plow through. And, and for me, there was like a moment 10 years in, you know, supposedly this is a 10 year town 10 years in uh, when I first moved here, I did some work at the, the YMCA in a youth sports. And uh, like I would supervise the, the basketball gym, bring up the little, the, the, the hanging goals for the little kids and which is fine. You do whatever you have to do to make money to survive. This Well, I'd quit that. I tried to do music full time by touring around the Southeast, playing at coffee shops and bookstores and stuff like that for, for a little. And then like 10 years in, like I, I got a call back from the YMCA, like, Oh, we need somebody to supervise the basketball gyms and I needed the money. So I took it. So I went back, walked back in the same, these same schools that I had been working at. And I was like, man, this is, I'm in a rut. And so I, I just told myself, I'm like, you need to figure this out. Either you need to move back home and then, you know, take a job in social work or something like that, or figure out a way to make this happen. And that's when I started to reach out to artists online about collaborating or recording my songs. Uh, this was back in the MySpace days, so a long, long, time, long, long, long time ago. And, uh, and just, I started having, you know, success that way, just, reaching outside of Nashville and and then that kind of led to you know working with other artists and that that was just my kind of way of of navigating it yeah I think you know it's it's easy to forget that there are artists outside of or our country artists outside of Nashville because exactly. all everyone talks about is you know Nashville's a home of country music and what have you and yes that obviously might be true but you've got people like Clayton and Jessica Lynn who's also coming over she's up in New York you know they're they're not in Nashville and yes they've spent might have spent time there but they're not based there um and and they're awesome artists so um yeah I think that's a really good way of to like what's going on outside I'll give you an example uh I worked with uh yeah Chris Lane are you familiar with so Chris Lane uh, is from near where I'm from, and he's one of the, the artists that came out to see me play when I was playing home. He ended up recording uh, a couple of my songs for his very first independent project, uh, a song called Two Tennessee and Carolina Kiss. And uh, he, 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 was, he developed his following outside of Nashville, uh, was making really good money 
doing shows on his own. And I guess Nashville saw what he was doing and came knocking on his door. You know, they, they kind of saw the potential with him. So I was, this was my first music video. He did a music video for to Tennessee, um, which is pretty cool to kind of be a part of his story to see how far he's progressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's my text. Like if I text him, he'll still text me back. Good. Yeah, he's been. I think he's been over here, and he's got quite a big, uh, quite a decent following over here. Um, yeah, yeah. No, he's he's great. So, what would be your best venue in Nashville if you were going to go out and just enjoy some live music? Because I, I think it's probably quite difficult when you're working in the industry to remember that actually it's your passion and you love it and you want to go and listen to it as well. So, for songwriters, uh, if you can get a ticket in advance to the Bluebird, which I've been fortunate to play several times. The, the most recently was like two Valentine's days ago. Uh, but that's amazing. The uh, When I first moved here, you could actually go to the Bluebird on a weeknight and just wait in line. And they have like these queues in the back that mm. you can sit at. And it might've been like, I mean, so I would go there quite often to listen to music now with the TV show that was so successful a few years back, it's just impossible. You have to really be on the phone to get the tickets. <laughs> quick yeah, I've, I've tried and never got them. Sells out like five minutes. Uh, the other place, the listening room in Nashville is a, I, they're trying to model themselves. I think after the bluebird, very respectful, very quiet. Um, but it's a bigger venue, so they, they probably have more tickets. They they do good shows. Um, but there's a lot of just uh, you know smaller writer nights around Nashville, like uh, Belcourt Taps. Um, I'm sure they've got something going on uh, at the Tin Roof. I mean, honestly, you know, like I said, there's writer's nights going on all, all around town and Whiskey Jam. Whiskey yep. Jam country music, but they have a great uh, show twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and uh, those are those are fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and what about to eat? Best best restaurant? Where would you if somebody uh, was coming to Nashville and you were like, right, you've got to go and eat in this place? Oh gosh, it's so difficult with that question now because we have like Nashville has exploded with new restaurants and new, like just all, all kinds of things. I would say if you wanted to do have a combination of food and music puckets, there's puckets in Nashville that, that one of the artists I work with Justin Harden plays at quite a bit. Like he, and there's several puckets all around Nashville and, and they all have music, but that's a great place for, for food and music. Um, just for food, <clears throat> we have a lot of great barbecue places. Um, Martin's barbecue. I know they have a, they're, they're downtown. I don't know. I mean, when, when you come over, I think that I mean, a lot of places get really hyped, you know, they get, you know, and so you'll, you'll go to them and there'll be like a line around the door. You're like, I don't know, is this place really worth it? Loveless Cafe is a, is like a kind of like a landmark place to, to go eat. Um, a lot of my favorite places have, have gone away. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. But, and so if somebody was coming over from the UK to Nashville for a first time visit, do you have what are the like your top three recommendations for them to do while they're over? Um, I would definitely uh, check out Broadway, downtown Broadway. That's going to be the very touristy part of town, but you still there's like uh, Roberts uh, downtown, uh, Roberts w Western World is a great venue if you like traditional country music. Um, the other bars are going to be playing more popular. What's popular now, country music. Um, I would make it over to uh, Music City Drive, and there's two places over there. Um, I think they're owned by the same people. Scoreboards 
which is like a kind of like a restaurant bar has really good music. Uh, the Nashville Palace, where Randy Travis got his start, that's a great place for like traditional country music as well. Uh, and Whiskey Jam, I check out Whiskey Jam as well. I mean, those are places that you're going to be able to get in if you if you in advance trying to get tickets for stuff. Definitely the Opry. Definitely try to get to the Bluebird or the listening listening room for the songwriting part of it. Yeah. So, but if if you were just like scouting around and didn't have tickets, I, I would definitely go with uh, this. And and we have like a nice, really nice pedestrian bridge that has a great view of the city. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, having done this podcast, my bucket list for things to do when I go back to Nashville is just getting so long. So I'm going to have to be over there for about a month, I think, to tick everything, tick everything off. And what about further afield in Tennessee? If you were going to go somewhere for a, I don't know, a weekend break or something, or just a, a change of scenery, where would you, where would you head to? Still in Tennessee? Still in Tennessee. Okay. Um, one of my favorite things to do, especially this past year with the pandemic, was the Tennessee State Parks. Um, there's one right, uh, right outside of Nashville. I mean, it's within 15 minutes of Nashville. Radnor Lake State Park amazing they have great trails they have easy trails they have more advanced trails great view of 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 a lake a lot of it's almost like walking in a disney film because the deer and the turkey and the all the animals they're not scared of you because they're protected so i've walked through there where a baby deer i could actually if I wanted to have reached out and petted it, but I know you're not supposed to. So I didn't, but they're like walking right there. You see deer, you see the the cranes. They actually have some bald eagles. Um, so if you're looking like a little bit of a hike, a little fresh air, Radnor, Radnor Park, there's other like uh, Long Hunter State Park is really close, but I would check out the, the state parks. And, and Simpson Park has like the, the Parthenon, like the exact replica of the Parthenon, is also nice. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so final few questions. Who would be your top US artist to watch? So unexposed, and you're not allowed to say any that you work with directly. So, uh, uh, unexposed or, or? Yeah, unexposed or like a young artist, somebody that we might not have heard of over here. That I don't work with. <laughs> that you don't work with. Uh, or just somebody that you might have heard and thought, oh, you know, I really like their music. I, I can see them going somewhere. I, you know, Spotify is so good for that. Let me, let me, for country music, for country music. I don't work with her directly. I think she's amazingly talented. We might in the future. Megan Barker, okay. who is. She has like a uh, a Sunday night uh, thing called Jamming and Jammies. Uh, she is a super talented songwriter and a sweetheart. Amazing! I shall check her out. And yeah. you probably you might not know, but UK artists to watch. Do you know much about UK UK artists? Do you know enough well, to say when Gary Quinn? Yes. Yes. We love Gary. He played at the festival in 2019. We love yeah. him. Look, this is what I mean. Uh, the music is really good. And it seems like from what I can tell from his socials, like he's doing all the right things to stay connected and keep his fans informed. Like, uh, I mean, th th I mean, I, I applaud artists that are able to juggle all of that because I know how much, stuff there is to do that yeah. Absolutely. um Absolutely. so yeah so, okay that was what is what has been your favorite ever gig whether it's been you playing or you watching somebody okay it doesn't have to be country music they like favorite gig that i've seen a, a favorite show that i've seen or, or um, play? either doesn't matter just one that really sticks out in your mind and you're like yes that is right at the top okay playing bluebird is great like i like i played several times that that's wonderful 
Um, I would have to say a highlight for me happened in 2019. Uh, I had a song that I wrote with James Dupre, who was like a former voice contestant and another artist I worked with, Justin Harden. Um, <laughs> he recorded a song that we that we wrote called uh, Another Love Song. And James got asked to do the uh, do the uh, tribute to Randy, uh, Randy Travis because he's friends with Randy Travis. And so it was a concert series. And one of the, one of the shows was at the Ryman auditorium. And so basically James Dupre at the show, Randy Travis and his wife are sitting on stage. It's a packed audience. And uh, he's singing all of Randy Travis's number one hits, but uh, James gets to sing one original song. And so he song, sang the song that we wrote and I got a shout out from the Ryman stage, you know, Amazing. and, Randy Travis is sitting there listening to a song that that I was a writer on. Yeah, so that is like was a highlight. Pretty pretty amazing Absolutely. moment. I remember visiting the Ryman when I first moved to town, and they and like in between, they were like, "Oh, anybody want to come up on stage and like you know sing a song?" And I did that t like many years ago. It was like some kind of like tour or something like that. But yeah, but uh. That, that would be I, like a. I love hearing these stories. They're brilliant stories. And so your go-to country road trip song, if you were going to head out to a state park for the weekend or whatever, the sun's shining, you've got the win windows down and you wanted to listen to a country song, what would it be? Mm. It'd probably be like something Rouse and Krause. I know she's kind of like, you know, country bluegrass awesome. but i i mean like i would put on like one of her earlier uh like what was that album forget about it forget about it no no uh, like i don't know i listen to her quite a bit when i'm when i'm walking lovely brilliant so if somebody wants to find out more about you john and what you do where can they where can they find you how can they get in touch if, if they want to, they can reach out to me directly on Facebook or Wine Records has like a Facebook uh, page as well. And it's funny, like we started having people reaching out and want to, to present us with songs for the artists and, you know, ask us about the light, which is really funny to me because, you know, it just kind of organically happened. Our, our record label, um, Tyler, the first artist that we worked with, um, ended up charting on Billboard. And Billboard messaged us and said, okay, you know, his album's going to chart uh, in Billboard. Like, we need, you know, label name, logo, stuff. And we had none of that. We were just like, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, what are we going to call ourselves? What, you know, what, you know, so we had to quickly. So the fact that that people are reaching out to us now and asking to submit music or asking more about, it's it's kind of, it's just fun. So just very quickly then, where did the YN come from? <laughs> There's no quick about it. So, <laughs> unfortunately, so about 12 years ago, I had like a little side venture um, with ringtones, which is so funny. So uh, I wrote a couple of ringtones for, for people that, there were two, two ladies that were fans of my songwriting, a girl named Jen Smith, in North Carolina, who runs a pretty big blog now, uh, Loving Lyrics, and then a lady in Florida. So I wrote little ringtones for their phones and just said, hey, thanks for being big supporters. And I used this website called Mixer.com to upload it, And uh, which then I saw other people were downloading it. They were downloading those same ones, and they had an option of, of that you could sell ringtones if you wanted to. So I just basically started writing personalized name ringtones for anybody that requested them and long story short it turned into like uh like over two million downloads of ringtones and so that actually the success we had there helped us have some success with getting features like on itunes and features on verizon and stuff like that for ours that we worked with so we thought we would keep it and the name of our ringtones were your name ringtones so to keep it, we just said YN Records, like 
almost like your name record. So whoever we're working with and the artists that we work with, we don't sign them to like extended deals is always just like one, one offs. Like you want to release a song with us? You know, we just do like a one. So we don't hold anybody. We're not holding anybody back. I love it. If the better comes along. So. Well, thank you so much, John. I've taken up too much of your time, but it's been an absolute pleasure. And we can't wait to see you when you come over in July. Really excited about it. So thank you very, very much for doing this. Appreciate it. So the post-production edits for John Griffin include recommendations of places to eat, which are Loveless Cafe in Nashville. And if you want some food and music, then head over to Puckett's. If you get the opportunity to catch a writer's night, then either the Bluebird or the Listening Room, he recommends. If you want a night out, then Whiskey Jam and obviously catching the lights of Broadway as well. If you're heading slightly further afield, then Radnor Lake State Park sounds absolutely amazing. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TN Fields Fest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.